Tonight we're going to be in the book of Philippians and the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, you can start uh, turning to uh, Philippians chapter 1. And uh, tonight, if you're here for the very first time, what we do here on our Wednesday night is called Equip. This is where we equip the saints for the work of the ministry coming out of Ephesians chapter 4, and it should be in the backside of your uh, bulletin that you got. And we're here so that we can reach out to people who have yet to come to know Jesus Christ. You and I, most of us, have a relationship with Christ. And he wants us to partner with him in his attempts to reach the lost. And we talked about that last week. Tonight we want to start a new series on our Wednesday night called The Heart of Our Vision, where we talk about reaching the lost one relationship at a time. And tonight we're going to talk about reaching that word reaching, we understand that word when we reach for something or when we say, oh, my children are reaching a certain age, now they're talking back to me. I'm reaching out for something to grab it. So we, we know the, 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 the term and the definition of reaching, but when it comes to reaching the lost, for some reason we don't connect the two. We don't connect reaching with lost. We think that it's about us just telling people about Jesus Christ, but it's more than that. It has to do with a personal connection with reaching the lost. It's not just telling people about Jesus Christ. In fact, there's going to be three components that we're going to look at tonight uh, coming out of the book of Philippians and the book of Acts. The interesting thing is in the book of Philippians, when Paul writes this letter, Paul is the apostle who was known as Saul, who was converted to Christianity after meeting Jesus Christ. This is after Jesus went to the cross and died, went to the grave, and then rose again. He comes into a, in contact with Jesus Christ's resurrected form. So now Saul, who didn't know Christ, becomes this new guy, Paul, now knowing Christ. And now he does things for Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus called him an instrument to be used for him. Now, Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, and the book of Philippians is not like any other letter that Paul writes, uh, like the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, the Colossians, uh, those people. Uh, Philippians is probably the only book that he writes that has no corrections in it. You know, if you read Corinthians or if you read the other books that Paul wrote, he said he would say things like, stay away from immorality, don't do this, uh, uh, be careful of this. Watch out for lust. Stay away from evil women. Stay away from evil men. Stay away from evil, period. He'll say, stay away from these things, but here's where you need to go. But in the book of Philippians, he has a different, kinda, a different heart in writing this letter to the people in Philippi. So tonight, we're going to be focusing on that and, and, and why Paul would do certain things and why he said certain things, why he lived the way he did. If you're ever going to imagine what a disciple looks like or a follower of Jesus looks like, I'd say not just look at the disciples who actually walked with Jesus, but look at Paul the Apostle who didn't walk with Jesus in his physical form. The disciples did. Paul the Apostle, he, in fact, he said, I feel like I'm one of the disciples out of time. Like I should have been born when Jesus was around. But for some reason, God saw a different a time period for him to be born in, as the book of Acts tells us, that God says, here's the time where you're going to be born. I'm going to have you in a certain place, in a certain time of history, in a certain city, in a certain home. God is that specific that the exact point where you live 
is exactly where God wants you to be. Circumstances might tell you otherwise, but God in his sovereignty said, nope, you're exactly where I want you to be because only you can do what you can do through me. If not for you in where you live, nothing would be done according to the, the plan that God has. It's, it's specifically made for you. Where you work is specifically for you. We cannot think in a worldly context. We have to think in a godly context. We have to think in the, with a kingdom mind and a kingdom perspective. Once we start saying, oh, this happened to me because of this, or oh, I'm at this job because of this, or I live here because of this, we've forgotten that God says, no, 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 I have a perfect plan for you. I specifically put you in this specific place. Now, you might not like it. It might be very difficult, but nonetheless, God says, I want to use you for a specific reason. Uh, Heidi was just telling me about this TV show that she saw where they were, uh, his children or his, his nephew and nieces were at this one school. And at this school, they said, we don't teach, we reach. And so he said, so you don't teach? And he said, no, we reach the students where they're at. And I thought that's exactly the heart of God that he wants us to have, to reach people where they're at. We are not here to change people. We're here to reach people where they're at. It sounds like what we do with what Jesus has called us to do. It's to reach people. And although we teach, we reach people where they're at. I'm going to read Philippians uh, chapter 1. And uh, you can, if you're there already, then that's great. And Paul starts off his letter in this way. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So by now, the church has already been established. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, all with joy, for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains, so he was imprisoned, imprisoned, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness." How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. So this letter that he's writing to the people in Philippi, he's saying, I long for you. Uh, some of your Bibles might have another word, uh, but he longs for them. It's like he misses them. But in order for you to miss someone, that means you have to have some kind of a relationship with them, at least friendship, some kind of a deeper relationship than just, hey, how's it, or a, work, a co-worker that you don't even know. So why would Paul say, I, I, I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ? And, and when he says the affection of Jesus Christ with that kind of affection, remember what Jesus did. The affection, the love that Jesus had for you and I was a love that, that put him on the cross. It was a love that, that kept him going forward 
and he was able to die on the cross. It wasn't just a friendship kind of love. It was a deeper kind of love. When he writes this letter to the people in Philippi, and you read the book of Philippians, you can almost see that there's a, a difference with why he's saying what he's saying. Almost like there's a, a maturity level that, God is, that Paul is speaking to, a, a mature Christian, if you would, or, or maybe they're maturing. He's speaking to them in a matured fashion, not in a, you shouldn't be doing this, you should be doing this. He's almost like encouraging them in their matured state because I think we all want to be matured Christians. But what does that look like? What does a mature Christian look like? What does it mean to be matured in Christ? How do we get to a place where we, we say, well, I'm, I'm maturing in Jesus Christ? How, how do we get there? When Paul says, I greatly long for you, for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ, it's a different kind of yearning than when you miss someone. And there's a reason why he says this. In verse 9, he continues. He says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now you can hear Paul's love and heart towards these people. No other place does he speak like this. And, he, and you can just hear his heart and his affection for these people. In order for us to understand why he feels like this, we would have to go back to the beginning of this church. And we would find it in the book of Acts. So you could turn your Bible uh, back to the book of Acts, chapter 16. And we're going to explore this church, this place in Philippi to see what happens and why Paul says this. In the book of Acts, we find that Paul, we know him as, you know, he goes on certain journeys, but he's also a church planter. He does different things. Now, I don't know if any of you guys garden. Uh, we have a garden in the back that Heidi, you know, tends to. Sometimes I'll go out there and pull two weeds, and I'll look at it and I'll say, forget it, man. It's is, is choke weeds. So this is the garden that we have. If you have a garden and you don't tend to it, then weeds will spring up. But if you are a gardener, you know how much work it takes. You have to continuously, continuously pull the weeds and cultivate the soil. And so Paul is like that. He's a church planter who has to continuously cultivate the soil he has to continuously pull the weeds and then help them to understand how good God is. So because he's a church planter, we find this uh, person that he comes in contact with, Acts chapter 16, verse 11, I'll read from. Actually, I'll read from, from verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia, so get this, keep this name, okay? Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, 
If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So this woman, Lydia, she's not just someone who Paul meets and says, oh, wow, this is some person who loves Jesus Christ now, and now she, she uh, wants to get baptized, and now she follows Christ. She is a wealthy woman. And if you read about the church in Thyatira or where she was doing her trading, that area was very rich. In fact, we're going through the seven churches on Sundays uh, in the book of Revelation, and Thyatira is one of them. And so you could, you could almost see her as like a, like a CEO of a fashion designer company in today's world. She would be living in like New York, and she would be selling uh, fashion wear, and she'd probably be on, on TV you know, on Project Runway or something and and selling her goods. But she is that kind of person. So she's wealthy. She's she's well off. She's doing very well. But she was not a worshiper of pagan gods or other gods. She was a one God worshiper. And it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God, the Father. But she comes to hear Paul, and she knows about you know, the, the, the first five books of the Bible, because they had the Torah, they had that. So she understood the commandments of God. She knew about the commandments. She knew about what to do, what not to do. But then Paul comes, and he hears what they're saying, and so he talks to them about Jesus Christ. And he actually stops them in the midst of their Bible study. He hears them talking because they would meet often, and he says, hey, uh, what are you guys talking about? And they start talking about the things of God. And he says, you know, yeah, the law. I understand the law, but there is freedom in Jesus Christ. You guys are trying to live by the law. But Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so he teaches them about Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, you know, yeah, you have fallen short of God's glorious standard. But that's the forgiveness that God has for you. He has the forgiveness of sins. And so she receives Christ and then gets baptized. This is Lydia, a wealthy woman. It continues in verse 16. It says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. So now, not just Lydia, this wealthy woman like a CEO, now he's up against some demon-possessed slave girl. Talk about diversity. Who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us. And cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did, and this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed. You've ever been annoyed at people? It's biblical. I don't know about the heart behind it, but Paul was greatly annoyed. Turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. So Paul not only comes in contact with this woman, Lydia, and challenges her intellect, and she changes and receives Christ, or not changes, but she she now receives Christ into her heart and then gets baptized. He now comes in contact with the demon-possessed slave girl, He doesn't challenge her intellect. He actually just goes with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, he was greatly annoyed, so I don't know how God will use that in our lives if we're greatly annoyed with something. But I believe Paul's annoyance with this girl was the fact that Paul knew the truth. That Paul knew that this girl was not living according to God's standard. And he knew that this girl had potential. She's a slave girl. That's her life. That's all she knows. And Paul, greatly annoyed, turns to her and says, Demon, get out of this woman in the name of Jesus Christ. That first woman was converted by intellect. This other girl, this little girl, demon-possessed, was converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you annoyed with people? Wait, hang on, because you're answering already. Yep, I'm annoyed with people sitting next to them. I'm annoyed. Are you annoyed with people because they don't know Jesus Christ or because you do and you don't like how they act? Or are you annoyed because you know Jesus Christ and so do they and they don't act like they do? And maybe they're annoyed at us too. Maybe they're saying, well, you know Jesus Christ too. I'm annoyed with you. Paul was making a statement, and here's what his statement was. If we're ever going to be annoyed with people, it should be because we're trying to reach them. It should be because we see their potential, we see the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And we're so annoyed with them that we would, with the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't know if you're going to say, demon, come out of this person. I don't know if you're going to do that at work and get fired, but all I know is what Paul did was through the power of the Holy Spirit. He said what he had to say because of the context in which he was walking with this spirit or with this girl who had this spirit. It's just an act of power. It's just an unexplainable act of the Holy Spirit. And I think if you can open your heart to the possibilities of the unexplainable acts of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to be set, standing before God with unexplainable testimonies of what the Holy Spirit did through you. If you're trying to explain the Holy Spirit's move through you, it's not going to work. Like if you're saying, well, I'm not qualified. I, I don't know the Bible yet. I don't have it together. My life isn't perfect yet. We know that already. That's, that's a done deal. That should never be our excuse it's almost like God is saying, why do you think I gave you Romans 5, 8? While you were yet sinners, I died for you. Get over it. You're imperfect. Yes, you're imperfect. But I am perfect. Get over it. I'm perfect. Let a perfect God move through an imperfect person, which brings perfection. It's not going to be us. It's God moving through us. That's what brings perfection. So now you have this demon-possessed girl who now changes because of what Paul said. I understand this, and when you read this, the Lord, the Lord went after Lydia with her intellect, but then he, he went after this girl's heart with power. In verse 20, and they brought them to the magistrates, and said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And then they had many stripes on them. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, 
he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, we'll read that in about 15 seconds. It took longer than 15 seconds. It was more painful than what we read. He put them in stocks. Now, we think of stocks as, oh, he chained their legs, or he put them in that, you know, they put the head in and your hands are out and people can throw fruit at you. We think of stocks in that way. In this context, they actually would contort their bodies to put them in an uncomfortable position and then chain them in stocks. So they were uncomfortable. And Paul is, I mean, if you study the life of Paul, he's just a simply, he's a, an amazing follower of Jesus Christ that anything they said to Paul, he had one up. Like, we're going to put you in prison. We're going to chain you up. Oh, even in chains, I can preach the gospel. Well, then we're going to torture you. Oh, to die is gain. Well, then we're going to let you live. Oh, to live is even better. It's like you couldn't even, you couldn't even do anything with Paul. And it's like, do we have that kind of spirit that if someone was to say, well, you're going to get fired. Oh, but God is my provider. Yeah, yeah, but you're not going to get promoted. Oh, promotion comes from the Lord. Yeah, but, you know, you're not going to get picked. Oh, but Christ is first in my life. Do we have that kind of spirit? Or are we the type of person that first negative thing comes, God help me, I do this. Can we say to die is gain and to live is Christ? Can we even say that? But Paul says this. So these stocks that they were in, they were being tortured. In verse 25, we'll continue. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the, wait, hang on, wait, what? Let's read that again. Wait, Paul, but Paul, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Okay, I didn't catch this earlier, even when I was studying this. Did, by the way, we're actually doing a Bible study. Just wanted to let you know that. Because anybody can do a Bible study. We're actually teaching you how, so when we start connecting groups. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So here's... <laughs> Sometimes we complain because it's too hot. How come no more AC? Yeah, somebody took my chair. We complain when we worship. This guy was in stocks. In a contorted position. I probably can't... That actually hurt. (laughs) He's in a contorted position, being tortured, and they're singing hymns to God. Can you still sing songs to God when you're going through the worst time of your life? Can you still sing praises to God and thank God in your worst season? Because that's what these these guys did. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, so now this guard in whom they said, make sure, make sure you securely fasten these people, these prisoners. Yes, sir. If they leave or escape, you die. Yes, sir, I got it. So now the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. 
This guy was like samurai. But Paul called out with a loud voice. He said, do not harm, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. What prisoner does that? You watch TV or the movies? I mean, if you're in prison contorted, all stuck and in chains, and the prison walls fall down and the gates open, and the guard is about to kill himself, the prisoners be like, do it. Go ahead, kill yourself. We can flee. We're free. Not Paul. Paul, this, this doesn't sound like a normal person. They're about to be set free. And Paul's like, hang on, hang on. Jailer who tortured me, who put me in these stocks in a contorted position, don't kill yourself. Now, this doesn't make sense to the jailer. And then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the jailer now, the guy who just put them in prison. He said, at first he was beating them up, throwing them in prison. Now he's saying, what must I do to get saved? Talk about schizophrenic. (laughs) So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Nothing real, you know, out of the ordinary. They just spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. We get baptized Coconut Island 2 o'clock when it's sunny. These guys got baptized 2 o'clock in the morning while it was dark and cold. Why? Because they loved Christ. It was out of a love for Jesus Christ. Now when they had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. This prison guard, he wasn't just a, a temporary hire. He was someone who was trained to keep watch over these prisoners. He was so dedicated to his work that he was willing to kill himself because these prisoners would have been let loose and he would have been accountable for it. He was that dedicated. He was, he's just like a, a blue-collar worker. He doesn't, he's not rich, but he's not poor. But he, he just has enough to get by. Kind of sounds like many of us. We just have enough to get by. He's dedicated to his work. He knows his duty to Rome. And knowing that these guys can flee, he's going to kill himself. But then Paul does something. Paul does something that nobody else ever did. And Paul, by his example, was able to convert this guy to believe in Jesus Christ. So you have this woman, Lydia, who, just by intellect, that Paul spoke to them, was able to come to know Christ. This demon-possessed girl, by the power of the Holy Spirit, came to know Jesus Christ. But then this jailer, he comes to know Jesus Christ by the example of Paul the Apostle. He just watches the actions of Paul and he says, what must I do to get saved? And Paul tells him, did you know that your example, just by your example alone, can bring people to Jesus Christ? Just by your example. That maybe, maybe they might torture you. Maybe they're saying negative things about you. Maybe they might put you in a position that you're, you're, you're left in stocks or you're, 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 you're cornered or, or maybe they gossip about you. But by your lifestyle, by your example, they will one day come up to you and say, what is it about you? I don't get it. 
Everybody picks on you. They say negative things about you. They, they ridicule you. You've gone through so much heartache and pain, but for some reason you still manage to live and, and thrive and, and you don't do anything to, to seek revenge on anyone or you don't do anything to spite anyone. You, you still love people. Why, why do you do that? And it's simple because we know Christ. Can you say to live is Christ and to die is gain? Because if we can be that kind of people, if we can say to live is Christ and to die is gain, then we'll be able to reach people for Christ. Those chairs next to you is a soul just waiting to be saved. People are waiting for you and I to reach out to them. They're looking for people who maybe has some knowledge, some intellect, that maybe they have questions about God, and maybe you can answer. Maybe you can't answer through intellect, but maybe through the power of the Holy Spirit you can. Or maybe not through the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're still learning about the person of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's through your example that they would say, I just, I just want to know what you have. What do you have? And it's simple. It's Christ in me. I no longer live but it's Christ in me. And I pray that tonight we would be those kinds of people, whether you, you relate to Lydia, sorry, the demon-possessed girl, or the jailer. Or maybe we just relate to Paul and how he did things. We're going to pray tonight. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And if, if you want to put that scripture to memory, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, then write that down, Philippians 1.21. And we're going to pray, ask the Lord to help us in this area of reaching out to our friends. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Lord, tonight, as we come before you, we choose to follow you. There are things that we go through. There are things that, that we've been through. And there are times that we want to reach out to people, but we just don't know how. Teach us tonight, Lord, to reach out to people. Whether it be through what we know, which may be our intellect, but it's not with our human intellect. It's really with your godly wisdom. Or maybe it's, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit moving through us. Maybe it's, it's our example. Lord, I pray for all of us tonight that we would be people who glorify you. And there may be a person in your mind that God would put on your heart a person's name, just take about 10, 15, 20 seconds just to pray specifically for that person.
Lord, tonight we, we, we see what you do. We, we see how you do things and we can learn from this church in Philippi. We can learn from Paul the Apostle in how we can reach out to people and, and, with, with the, and where we live, where we work, with where you've placed us, there is a diverse group of people. And we, we are in a culture and in a, a state that we call the melting pot. There, there are so many different types of people, backgrounds, ethnicities. But Lord, you've called us to represent you. And so help us, Lord, tonight to reach out to people, to reach the lost, one relationship at a time. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be that example. We pray for those who have yet to come to know you as Lord and Savior that we know personally, that we're praying about. That you give us the opportunity, whether it is to connect with them or invite them or reach out to them, whatever it would be, Lord, that we would do so. Help us to do that, Lord. Show us the way. We ask for wisdom. We ask for your power. We ask for the heart to be an example of what it means to live for Christ. To die is gain.